Jealousy and Hatred My little newsletter, Trivial Man, which I publish out of my jammed apartment on West 43rd Street in New York, and subsidized through typesetting work, suddenly exploded in popularity, which meant it actually sold a few copies. I began to receive phone calls from trivial people seeking my deductive services, people not accustomed to navigating in the real world. I've got a movie I want you to find, they'd say. For how much, I'd ask, now priding myself as a professional. Then there'd be a pause, and then I'd hear a dial tone. I already had something over many of my colleagues. I was presentable. Imagine Zeppo Marx crossed with John Garfield, had even amazingly been married, and still stayed in contact with my ex-wife, Jody. If you can't deal with the present, you can always depend on the past. In our own ways, Jody and I both knew this. It was during one of Jody's usual phone calls to ask me who was playing whom in an old movie we both by chance happened to be watching that the whole thing began. You mean the bandit? I asked, muting the volume. Akim Tamarov. Then, call waiting, a recent upgrade to my phone system clicked in. Hold on. Hello? There was a pause. I heard a voice I recognized. It was old, and it was downbeat. Roy, it's about your mother. I don't mention my parents too often, and for good reason. Neither has the faintest idea what I'm doing with my life. Make that singular. My mother doesn't. My father's dead. But before he died, he didn't have a clue about it either. It always surprised me about my mother because she loved movies, so I'd assumed my obsession had some genetic basis. My father, who worked in insurance, never liked to leave the house for any reason, let alone movies. His usual review after seeing one consisted of three words, piece of crap. My mother, however, persisted in hoping that my vast store of trivial information could lead to gainful employment, marriage, and DNA propagation. No such luck. What do you do with a thing like that? She'd usually ask after I'd made the mistake of sharing some little-known fact with her, like, for instance, that Maggie Smith had replaced Catherine Hepburn in Travels with My Aunt. Why don't you write your own column? I put out my own newsletter, I'd reply. I sort of do that already. No, I mean, you know, for real. I assumed she'd be encouraged by my discovery of the complete Ambersons. And the idea of dealing with her, what do you do with a thing like that? Why don't you join the FBI? Caused me to stay mum. Now, mom was the one who was mum. Apparently she, as my aunt informed me on the phone, was no longer speaking. There seemed no physical problem. It was apparently a head thing. It wasn't unprecedented. Once my mother had hidden under the kitchen table all afternoon. Another time she'd been found wandering the neighborhood in her nightgown. But this event, or so my aunt believed, was a keeper. No amount of medication mattered. My mother was no longer a moving picture. She was a still. But what do you want me to do? I asked Aunt Ruby as I followed her down the stairs.
I hadn't been in the old family house in the Westchester suburbs since Thanksgiving. Now it was March. Help pay for the upkeep, said my aunt. She was a frighteningly practical and direct woman, a registered nurse and my mother's only other relation. She referred to her kid sister as if she were no different from the familiar crumbling home we were in. That was life to Ruby. We all just became a question of maintenance. Well, for how long? For as long as it takes. But, I stammered lamely, she's only seventy, she could live another twenty years. My mother was no vegetable. Lying silently in bed, she still showed a hearty appetite and flicked efficiently through TV stations. Her eyes had even sparkled a little when I walked in. Still, none of my small talk had brought a response. Twenty years or even twenty-five, Aunt Ruby agreed unhelpfully. Well, she...